Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the Once Bitten podcast and welcoming back our boy, Texas Slim, modern T-man who burst onto the scene I don't know, nine months ago when he came on the podcast with his first piece of writing, The uh, Deception of the Harvest, and the three-part series that he put together there. You can go back and listen to those because they're great to re-listen to. How we have been fooled by chemical companies that are making our food rather than the farmers and the ranchers that should be supplying our food. It's a sorry tale and very much worth your time digging into because you are what you eat and this is exactly what Slim is trying to educate people about and taking this all the way back to the soil as we get into. Before we do this episode, please make sure you are supporting the show sponsors as they have supported uh, this show. Uh, very kind of these guys to uh, to show an interest in my work and to build the amazing products that they've built so thank you everybody uh swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten they have you covered across the u.s and internationally now make sure you go and check out the services that are available to you by the swan team uh, relay.ch forward slash bitten across europe and the uk you can stack sats with the relay guys just download the app and get fired up bitcoin reserve have two offerings for you flash where you can buy daily or their concierge service where you can get a white glove experience and speak to the team at bitcoin reserve when you're onboarding people 50,000 or more now you can buy bitcoin as well via the liquid network with these guys big news coming out from them over there coincorner.com forward slash bitten forward slash social forward slash bitten that's the mouthful uh get over there you can smash by with coin corner they are an exchange or you can set up your auto buys more importantly you can link your bolt card to your coin corner account and this is going to free you from high street banks forever make sure you are stacking safely get a hardware wallet take control shift crypto.ch forward slash bitten have you covered with their bitbox o2 hardware wallet it's a bitcoin only edition Get across to some of these pleb conferences. Meet the plebs. Find out what is being built behind the scenes. Bitcoinday.io are each month across the US. You can use OB10 for a discount. Liberty in our lifetime is coming up. Back end of October in Prague. Head to the website. Use code PRINCY for your discount there. We're going to be talking about parallel systems. Consensus Network are doing great work translating all of the books into as many different languages as possible go and check those guys out and if you want some very cool streetwear our boy max over at the bit by bit pod is running the ungovernable misfits website and doing some really cool stuff i urge you to hit the link in the show notes and go check it out and don't forget we've got the honey badger conference coming up in riga 
as well as some other conferences around Europe. Make sure you're keeping an eye out for those. Enjoy this rip with Texas Slim. Lauren, we can't see you. You've got you to move forward a bit. Do you hear us, Mr. Slim? There you go. Hello, hello. How's it going? Monsieur Slim. Il est là. Don't try and speak French. <clears throat> Why not? Because when you're trying to say someone else's name in a different language, it's not their way. <laughs> okay, just we'll, we'll stick with Spanish. Buenos dias. Buenos noches. All right. When else, so what when do you want to do now, Lauren? Like clever clogs? Um, well, okay, let's go back. Are you going to at least speak into the microphone? <laughs> and we're already recording, by the way, Slim. Welcome to the yeah, show. Yeah, I saw that. Hey, good to see you guys. Thanks you too, for brother. having me. It's been me. a while. It's been too long, but here we are. So and Lauren keeps disappearing from the uh, our, our background. Let me take the virtual. Lauren, how are you doing, Lauren? Great. My, yes, my, how... I'm, I'm good, but I'm not great because... Tomorrow is going to be a bit annoying, but... what What's annoying about tomorrow? There you go. Um, well, I have a control. It's, that means control. Um, mm -hmm. Tomorrow is basically uh, the government basically sends people, test me and my brother on, uh, like, uh, I don't know, just work stuff. For school, for yeah, aptitude. It, yeah, we, we like we like to affectionately call them the 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 homeschooling Nazis. Ah, in these parts. gotcha. <clears throat> Understood. Yeah, that makes a lot of <laughs> sense. So you got to do some aptitude and whatnot tests and to see performance and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, performing monkey tests, uh, mm, which understood. is uh, one of the loopholes that we uh, have to jump through. For now, yes, it is. For as long well, as we, for, um, for for as long as we're we're stationed in France, but we'll yeah. see what happens. Well, you gauge it. I mean, you're you you make sound decisions. You're a critical thinker. I think you're in control of everything. So, you know, that's what people have to understand these days. I mean, we have to really think on a critical way anymore. You know, there's no random thinking. So, you know, we uh, and then we all get to talk across the pond. And and Lauren, I'm going to start off with saying I apologize. Okay. I really do, because <laughs> I told you I was going to get you those boots before Christmas. Oh, it's fine. I, I didn't really think about it until now. I was like, um, oh, we're going to be interviewing Texas. Good. I was like, oh, yeah. And I oh, did. yeah. You were supposed just, to give like, me some boots. My, yeah. It just crossed my mind. Well, good. I'm glad you weren't sitting there, uh, you know, pandering about this for the last couple of months. <laughs> well, actually, six months now, right? So uh, we, we have scored. I'll just put it that way. So we have some boots coming your way across the pond, and you're going to be the only one that has these boots probably in France, that's for <laughs> sure. So that'll be kind of neat. Wow. What do you think of that? That sounds cool because I'm going to be the only person in France. That will, well, not only person, but probably only person. And, and Slim that. sent me a little uh, DM earlier. I'll show you now whilst he's here. Uh, look, I think I believe this is the... Uh, you sent me a picture of the box. Is that correct, Slim? Yep, that's the box. And uh, it's kind it? of a cool little Western box. So. Whoa, that's so cool. Isn't that neat? And the thing about when you get when you get cowgirl boots, you always keep the box, right? So mm -hmm. 
It's, uh, you collect them and you always have them forever. And you never throw away your boots. If you do, you go out and put them on a fence post is the only thing you can do if you get rid of boots. You never so put them in says, the trash. We, we should shill them here. It says Cavender's Handcrafted Boots by Old Gringo. Do you want to give them a, a shout out? Uh, actually, Cavenders, yeah, they're out in the East Texas. They're a, they're a Western store. Uh, actually, Cole Bolton, he, his family knows the Cavenders. They've got a couple of ranchers out in uh, East Texas. Um, quite the organization as far as apparel. And, you know, you look at the something that Cavenders does, they're a family business, and they started on their own. And, you know, they're not this big corporation. They're a regional family business that caters to all the cowboys and cowgirls in the state of Texas, really. And it's, it's a neat story. It's a neat thing that you look at because the type of people that it draws into their retail stores, well, it's a way of life. And so all kinds of different people, they had a billboard, they have a little uh, billboard there. You can put, you know, like rodeo flyers and everything whenever you go into the store. And, you know, I put up something about the beef initiative and that's how things are done, you know, and they've got stores all across the Texas. So Cavenders is a, is a cool place to shop. And there's more, of course, but Cavenders is, you know, they are Texas. Lovely. All right. So anybody heading over there, any Bitcoiners, they need to go check out this store for, uh, or DM Slim for any other advice on, on where to get uh, your, your cowboy or your cowgirl boots. There you go. <laughs> All right, Lauren, I see. Uh, actually, I, I want to say something here. Sure. I'm very impressed. Thank you. I'm very impressed because... The episode before last was with uh, at Mr. Timothy Allen. Uh, I hope okay. you're listening, Tim. And uh, we had, would you say, the worst start to a podcast ever? Yeah, one of the worst. Because why? Um, I keep forgetting my question and I keep forgetting the words. So I like just pause and I'm like, oh, what's the word? What's the word? And I just... So I walked yeah. in here tonight, Slim, to to start setting mm. up, and already on the desk is Lauren's <laughs> own handwritten note that she must have done I, I what, half before an hour, dinner. an hour ago, like before dinner. Mm -hmm. So a few hours ago, she'd already talked thought about the question because she knew she was going to be interviewing you today, and she has her hand and a little picture to boot. So. Things are looking up in the podcast that's, world. That's that's pretty uh, that's pretty awesome, Lauren. I mean, that's what we call that is that's like intentional thinking right there. It's like, hey, you know, that's taking a little responsibility and accountability to having some good communication. So I I respect that. Thank you. And I so can't wait to, wait to answer the question. I was gonna say over <laughs> to you, Lauren. Do you want to fly into this question? Um. So I heard you like help farmers um learn about Bitcoin. Why do you want to help mm -hmm. farmers? Why do we want to help farmers? The way um, that's a very good question. And a lot of people, even in the Bitcoin space at times that have been in Bitcoin for a very long time, they really don't understand how I'm associating Bitcoin and farmers and ranchers. But if you look at uh, what Bitcoin is, is a, it's a, you know, it's a good store of value. Okay. So we think about a store of value. Well, farmers and ranchers throughout the years, throughout the time, what was one of the most valuable things for them to be able to farm and ranch? What would you think it is? The very first thing. Meat. Well, meat comes after the very most valuable thing. What does it take to grow meat and vegetables? Uh, people. people? Uh, animals. Yeah. And animals. Yeah. And animals. What, what yeah. do the animals eat? Uh, grass. Where, Where does the, the grass, grass come from? Grow? seeds 
where does the seed grow? Um, where the, do they ground? Live? the ground. In the ground. Yes. Soil. Yes. Soil. The source of the seed of everything that we are hides deep down in the soil. And farmers and ranchers have always known this. That's how we've gotten to where we are. If you've eaten vegetables or animals or whatever, cows, pigs, whatever it is. But the farmers and ranchers always knew that the value of everything that they do is in the land. They have to have land to do this. So when I got into um, Bitcoin, I understand how much farmers and ranchers have been manipulated and that store of value of land has gone uh, away. Land has been taken from the farmer and rancher. It's been poisoned by chemicals. There's so many things that have happened to our land. And you can look at Bitcoin moving forward for the modern day farmer and rancher that knows what their grandparents did and how they did it. But they're also going to understand there's a new uh, store of value that they can rely on moving forward like their grandfathers used the land. Well, they're going to get to use Bitcoin. The, the, the most sound money that we've ever seen in the world. And once you talk and you understand uh, with the rancher where they come from and their pain points, the conversations are very easy. And there's a lot of farmers and ranchers that understand decentralization, monetary value and store value better than Bitcoin themselves. They just don't understand Bitcoin yet. And we're seeing that left and right. And it, it's, been, it's been pretty amazing and phenomenal that uh, the, the correlation in the understanding and the education that we're giving each other, just because we're looking for that store of value that our ancestors used, and that was the store of the value of the land. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Well, that's how yes. we're moving forward. Yes. Go ahead. So oh, excuse me, I've got some hay fever. No problem. Yeah, so go go ahead. What's up with you? Yeah. Um... What's up with you, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it's basically about ancestors and what they want to do with their ancestors, like about their ancestors and help out with that and also their farm too. Yeah, it, it all, it's all hand in hand. And one thing that we've learned, especially your generation and generations above you, we've actually, it, history has been being taken away from us. A lot of people don't understand true heritage and legacy and how they got to where they are. And if you don't know history, then history repeats itself. Have you ever heard of that? But if you know history, you can actually engineer it in a way that it actually helps you contain and, and support that legacy that your grandparents and your ancestors gave to you. So by doing that, we're, we're looking at heritage again in the Beef Initiative. We're looking Bitcoin. People are understanding that, you know, if, the more you know your history and where you came from, the better a Bitcoiner that you truly are, because we look at things that how money has been manipulated. We've looked at how food has been manipulated and it makes you a far better person. And it gives you a new opportunity to give respect to your ancestors and your grandparents, because that's what they wanted. They fought really hard for us to have the life that we do. And so we need to really start looking back at that and honoring that with respect. And a lot of times we don't know what respect is anymore. And, in, in, you know, especially in the United States, you know, Europe, there's, there's a level of complacency that's happened and we're just not going to participate in that anymore. Does that make sense? I never sense? looked in ancestry uh, like that before. Like they worked hard. I, I think what Slim's saying is you need to show me more respect. 
<laughs> we do respect our elders, right, Lauren? <laughs> yeah, but what I'll say back to you, elders also have to respect the children too. They do, and there's a communication gap. What the hell are you gap. talking about right now? <laughs> <laughs> there's a communication gap that has always been there between the, the child and the parent. So we work very hard and we both uh, need improvement at all times and we both need to give, uh, have been given some grace to us as well. So it's that balance that we try to uh, fuse and we fuse that with truth and honesty and love. That's how it works out the best. There has been a huge wedge driven between parents and their children. And I'm sure Slim knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, when it, I'll tell you a story, Lauren, real quick. And I was a child of the 70s in the United States. And a lot of things you're seeing right now in, in the world is what we went through in the 70s. We had gas shortages. We had food shortages. The automobile industries were destroyed. There was so much poverty that was created. One thing, though, that did happen whenever we went off the gold standard in 1971 is that the state and the governments basically drew, started driving that wedge, as your father said, into the family. They made the mothers, the heritage women start working. They needed more people paying taxes. And they, they really, if you look at food, that's whenever they started creating these TV dinners, moms quit cooking as much. And the, basically the public school system started taking over children's minds more than uh, the respect between the child and the parent. They convinced a lot of people in the United States with pop culture, because I lived through it. They convinced a lot of parents to think that they weren't good enough to be parents. And that's what they're trying to do right now. And a lot of people are actually believing it for many, many other reasons. And there's, there's numerous reasons, and we can talk about that as we move forward. But don't ever think that, you know, if your father's being stern and thing, it's because he's trying to create and have that bond um, with you two, with your, your, your uh, siblings and everything. Um, it's, a, it's a hard battle, but it comes with respect and it comes with understanding history because this happens in societies and whenever they basically destroy the parents in the, in the household, those societies fall. And you can go back from Roman times to the, 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 the uh, introduction of communism in China. You can see what they did to those parents. And so you see that. And whenever you go to certain schools in the United States now, they're really trying to be the parent. And they're trying to make you very, very divisive towards the parents. And it's, it's happening in the public school systems. And it's, it's a coordinated attack against the family. And we can't allow that to happen. Sounds just like you. Yeah, we, we, yeah, because we see it. Because <laughs> we, we see, see it. it. And when you see it, you can't unsee it. And, uh, and, and Slim, I just want to, you know, just, just push one point here. Um, you, you called it the public school system there. And, and, you know, that's a meme. Public is a meme. It's a state school system. Yeah. And, and we've got to really understand that understand it state schooling um, that's because true that's that's a good term to start using because you're a hundred percent right man it's you know free education is the state education and good point <laughs> and in the and, states that that has a, a even deeper meaning because that could be individual state or the nation state so mm -hmm. it's double layered but you know in european countries uh, where, we, where we're not broken apart into different states as such that is a nation state education and that is the narrative 
that's being, and I say this all the time and I beat this drum, it's an agenda, not a curriculum that is being yeah. pushed through the state education system. And this is why we're seeing this rise of a, a third sex come out yeah. of nowhere. Because oh, of course. This of is course. the agenda being pushed through the state education system. Yeah. And, it, you know, what they're doing within this, this basically this programming of children and everything is, you know, the confusion and the, and the mental illness that this causes in the long run is definitely, you know, a form of codependency that they've very, that they've already engineered in so many different ways. And, you know, this over in some of the more social countries in Europe, I mean, there's people that will, have never had a chance and never will have a chance. And, and, you know, it's because of this social engineering that's going on. The, the basically the loathing of self is a religion of self that they've been very uh, um, successful in orchestrating. And in the United States, it is getting out of control. And it, it, it's, it's good to the point where you can, once you see it, like you said, you don't unsee, unsee it. And once us in the Bitcoin space get very intentional and get very directed by what the hell is going on in this country and in this world right now, um, it scares the living crap out of uh, a lot of people and they can't believe it and they have that cognitive dissonance but it mm -hmm. is happening it's not a conspiracy I'm tired of talking about those words this is happening and you think about you know that type of social engineering you think about how much engineering they do with nutrition and food itself you know most babies their first taste in this world is nothing more than a fabricated chemical that was created in a chemical lab and then that's how they're hijacking our taste buds and that's how they're engineering our minds to be extremely nutritionally starved and then it's of course physically you know metabolically bankrupt so this is this is happening and they know what they're doing the corporations now, even if it didn't start out nefarious, it started out misguided. And at this point, you know, and I'll refer to the food, and I think it's the same with education. They can't turn around now when we know why they can't. So, you know, everybody needs to wake the hell up is what I say. Yeah, for sure. All right, Lauren, do you want to say goodnight? Because me and Snim are going to get angry wait. for the next hour and a half. Have wait. you not seen wait. the list? Oh, oh, wait, 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 look. Wait. Oh, here we go. Here we go. We're going to get these and we're going to do it live here. Okay, so I'll There is the box. The look at that. We got the box. And I thought that was in the post already. I should never have shown the picture. No, I wanted you to show the picture. Whoa. Uh... <laughs> Oh, that looks good. Oh, Caitlin's going to be so jealous. <laughs> That's all you care about. How jealous your sibling is going to be. Look at these things. They look amazing. Oh. Size what? Tell me, make, make sure I got the right size. Oh, oh, she'll grow into them. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, yeah. My, my, my feet. They're, they're, growing, they're growing an inch a day right now, Slim. Right. And the thing is, I wish we had smelly vision right now because I bet they smell amazing. They smell just like leather. Wow. <laughs> Perfect. So I'll get these in the mail and we'll get them over to you, okay? This is a true cowgirl boot from Texas. So I'm you sorry. Are you going to wear those to your riding lessons? I'll probably try to. <laughs> or are you going to save them for when you go out? And... Well, you got decisions to make. Why would I yeah. go out? And... Okay. So yeah. Okay. We're going to we're going to create a roadmap here. I'm going to tell you something. OK, from this day forward, you have obligation. Now, there's accountability here. You've got to wear the, the cowgirl boots and you got to be proud of them. OK, but you get to decide from day one, right when you put them on, are you going to wear them or are you going to baby them? If you wear them, you're going to work in them. You're going to play in them. 
you're going to beat the crap out of them. Okay. And then whenever they wear out though, then you'll get another pair of boots from Texas slim from Texas and we'll create something here. And, but you have to wear them out first and that's the challenge. Okay. Okay. Then, what, what if most? I go to horse riding, they'll probably be wired out no, in no time. That's what they're built for. They're cowgirl yeah. boots. Exactly. So the, there's the, not, see, what was even a, trying to say? No, no, no. That's what I mean. Like I'll get boots in no time. Because, like, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I believe they're in not going to wear out. That's real leather. The real leather does not wear that quickly. That's like they're, they're built have to, work to hard. last. They're low preference, but the, you know and. and slim's touching on a, an important point here like people buy things and then they baby them they buy nice things and then they don't wear them they don't use them so those things end up owning you rather than you owning them i know what he meant okay yep. good. fair enough and then what i'll do is i'll send your dad a picture of my some of my oldest boots and you gotta make them look like that and then we'll keep this process but now here's the catch whenever these are worn out and you get a new pair of boots, you're going to find a fence in the farm in France, somewhere out there where there's a, got a, a barbed wire fence and you're going to start a tradition. And you're going to put those uh, boots on a fence post. And then uh, I'll show you a picture as well, of what we do in Texas. And you're going to start that tradition in France because the beef initiative is a global thing, you know? So here we All go. Right. Sound I like know, a plan? Uh, we can do this at Bada's house because he's going to start having animals. So you can put it. So, but you go wear them out first. Yeah, we got to get busy here. And, yeah. uh, but I have faith in you. So <laughs> you're right, going to do you your level. Do you want to say goodnight now? What, you got another question? I got two more questions. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Go right. Sorry. Hey, yep. Good questions. Uh, go so for it. the first question, why do you like meat? Why do I like meat? Well, there's two reasons. One, because the most important one is the best protein and best nutrition for your brain that you can get in the world right now, as far as a level that we need it as a people. One reason I love beef and steak is because it makes me strong. It gives me a clear mind. It makes me happy. It gives me a pathway to clarity uh it lets me have a, a very good relationship with my community and with my family um another reason is whenever i was a little boy we had a we had a separate freezer and that thing was always full of a cow it was a cut up cow that just like what y'all do there there in france that's how i grew up so every meal we were either having burgers we were having steak we were having ribs it just was non-stop we used the whole cow and I had a very fun childhood growing up that way because mom cooked and we had all kinds of different types of way of cooking meat. And it, it, all those cows that we always had growing up were from local ranchers and everybody that we knew and everybody was part of a community. So I look at, you know, beef and having that freezer full is a way it's a touch point that you can create fantastic relationships, fantastic memories. And you really, once you go down the rabbit hole of beef, you start learning about the cow. You start learning about the cowboy in Texas, just history, just everything goes back to the cow because believe it or not, the only way we got here was eating meat. We didn't get here eating lettuce. And so, you know, this is something that we need to hang on to and really emphasize the importance of how valuable the cow is for us. Do you remember your favorite song from the Simpsons? You don't make friends from salad. You don't make friends <laughs> no. from salad. Oh, you yeah, don't make friends from salad. Yeah. 
You I don't make friends that. from salad. I remember the you don't make friends from salad. Sometimes vegetarian. I remember that. That's one. right. That's that's the episode. Yeah. Oh, bless her heart. <laughs> <laughs> What's your last bless question? Uh, uh, this is like a just like a I don't know a weird question, but um, how do you like your meat? Because I like my meat rare. Rare. I like it a lot of different ways, honestly. Usually rare, medium rare. Depends on the steak, depends on the temperature, depends on the fire, depends on the skillet, and it depends on the cut of meat. There's some meat out there that you can eat very raw that's just like cheek. There's things you can do uh, that a lot of people don't know that certain cuts of meat will be good at certain temperatures. And uh, if you learn how to cook them from a top sirloin all the way into a ribeye, you learn that, hey, there's a different way. If you have chicken fried steak, which I showed y'all a picture that time, you know, you eat that. That's still that, very weird for me. You would love it, Princey. You would, Daniel, you would absolutely love it. When but, we come uh, out to Texas, I can't wait to sit around oh, a campfire and have some chicken well, fried we're steak. We're going to talk you. about that because I, I've got a, I've got some updates for you and we'll be talking about that more. So it just really depends on the steak, Lauren. And there's a hundred ways to cook it as well. Uh, like you could smoke it. You don't have to sure you can you age can, you it can, you can broil it you can age it yeah you can open grill it um so your There's favorite is well what's your favorite cut what how do you what's your favorite beef dinner i don't know like uh, what is it a hamburger like, a beef burger i should say not a hamburger because yeah, that makes right. no sense <laughs> if, a beef so burger. Steaks. yeah a beef burger um and steaks and well like steak. so the steak that i cook um, like on the fire with the the big bone down the side, right? Okay, so that is in France. That's called um, Cote de Boeuf, yeah. uh, side of beef, and that would probably be in America. Ooh, so we would have it be the, like a, the the T bone, where it could be a a strip or a T bone is what we have. I think it would be a bone, bone in ribeye. I think it'd probably be. Yeah, prob that's probably it was. Yeah, like the tomahawk right. that you can get and everything. Yeah, that's probably, you're probably right. Say it again in French. Well, what'd you say? Put the bell. Put the bell. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Which is side of beef. Um, right. It, yeah. That's probably it's... what it is because that's where the ribeye comes from a certain side. And everybody thinks that there's, you know, a bunch of ribeye in a ever cat, you know, ever, I want all ribeye. It's like, well, man, there's only so much if you're going to get a yeah. half a cow, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot of education there. But, uh, yeah. yeah so but anyways that's what we're going to be doing the big finish we're going to be having all kinds of way to prepare in the cuts and everything we're going to really dissect the cow so stay tuned any more questions i have a question for you okay wait i should probably do this afterwards though no do it live now you know you can't dangle the carrot but this is for you okay go on go um so you remember we're going camping on friday yes are we gonna like make a campfire and put yes. something on it yes it's a Bitcoin meetup. It's exactly what we're going to do. And in the UK, Perfect. by the way, Slim. This is exactly Perfect. what we're going to be doing. Yeah. Awesome. I can't, you got to send pictures. We got to talk oh, back will. and forth. Okay. Okay. I'll cool. be putting it on Twitter. Don't you worry. Perfect. All right. I'll tag you in. Definitely. We'll make it a thing now, like camping, beef, meetups, because mm -hmm. we're going to do that in Colorado. You know, we're all going to be camping out in Colorado. Well, not all of us, but we have camping going on too. And one of the guys was trying to source the, the most local beef he could find to the, the campsite as well. So it's not like someone's going down to Tesco and just buying a load of... No, it's going to be done properly in, in the style that, uh, that, that Slim would imagine. Yes. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to see. All right. 
Now are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. Say okay, goodbye. Lauren. Yeah. Good Go to see you, Lauren. Bye. We'll see you soon. I'll tell you when the boots get shipped, okay? Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. You're welcome. All right, Slim. Let's do Hello, it. Let's sir. get into it. Hello. Hello. It's, How have you been? Really, really well. Really well. Um, you know, navigating some some personal challenges, uh, as we touched on earlier, especially with the um, the homeschooling and, and whatever else. But um, we'll get there. We'll figure it out. And uh, you know, if we get forced into making a decision, a, a decision, then 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 so be it. But um, sure. all is good. The Bitcoin scene is picking up here in Euroland uh, at breakneck speed. Yeah, is it really? It's really exciting to, to see what's going on. And a lot of people are talking about this idea of uh, either regenerative, regenerative farming, um, which might be a bit of a misnomer because I don't think we're anywhere near as uh, far down the road with the regards to, you know, strip mining our soil in, in certain European countries as, as perhaps uh, America suffered that I don't think we're going to, that I, as far as I'm aware, there's no European country on the verge of a dust bowl. No, uh, not even so. close, you know, and that's geographically reasons, but it's also that Europe always has had uh, as much as they could a pushback against, you know, a lot of the chemical companies and everything, you know, there's still major manipulation, but you guys are definitely better off than we are right now. So there's, there's still work to be done. Um, and the regenerative farming idea uh, is great. But I think what most people are clinging on to is this, this homesteading idea. Mm-hmm. And the, the initiative that you've started, you've, you've really kickstarted something, not just in America, mate. Uh, and I know you call it a global initiative. And mm-hmm. I, I want you to know from this side of the pond, we're watching, we're listening. We've seen the results. Zero laughing has been detected. Mm-hmm. You're doing what you set out to do. And I, if I look back, when was it you came on here? Uh, for whatever oh, reason, you, you, August, you chose... August, September, I chose you, man. You, you, you were cool. You reached out and said, let's get this going, man. Why not? And I and... promised you, man, that was, that was a day that I told you we'd remember that day. So yeah. here we are. And here we are. Uh, and look how and, far and, you've and, come. In much grace and gratitude. You know, we don't get to t- a lot of people, especially people that do like what, what, what we do as far as spread education and awareness and information is what our goal is. But, you know, you and I don't talk that much. We, we don't have time for it. And a lot of people don't realize that it's like, you and I haven't really, we missed each other in Miami. You know, we mm-hmm. couldn't find each other, mm-hmm. but that's how it is. But that's why these podcasts are so damn important because we get to reflect back and then we get to say, you know, where are we? And it is, it's accountability. And you know, the, the people that LARP in Bitcoin, they're going to get found out because Bitcoin exposes the damn truth. And that's the beautiful thing about all of this. And so I have no problem standing up and, you know, looking at all these dipshits that are out there on, you know, trying to troll you and everything. So you don't have a clue who you're talking to. And that's what I, you know, I'm getting to that point where I can truly stand that because we got so much proof of work. People don't have a freaking clue. And, you know, seeing you and, uh, and Marty just grasp hold of this initiative uh, and drive this forward hard is great let's get um let's get your story of what's been going on because i know you've just got back you've been on the road uh, and you've mm-hmm. been out there 
doing your thing, shaking your rancher's hand and uh, introducing them to Bitcoin. I think what a lot of the plebs on this side of the pond would, would like to know is, um, you know, it being a global initiative, is there a playbook? Is there a, you know, is there a play by play? What, what, what should be, what have you found in your experience of doing this to be yeah. the most effective way to, to get this thing over the line? Yeah. And that, that's the great question. And we, you know, back in, you know, the fall of last year, we didn't know what that answer was going to be. Right. Because we, you know, we need that script. We need uh, that confidence of dialogue and communications like, Hey, how do I approach this? And what I found out, you know, this last seven, eight, nine months, whatever it's been, you know, a lot of people don't realize truly, Daniel, I've been on the road more or less for over three, almost three years now from doing things. And it wasn't always in the Bitcoin space. I was doing food intelligence before I got into Bitcoin and I was doing it in different ways. I've worked, I used to, I mean, I, I've been in food lines. I've fed the homeless. I've worked through churches. I've looked at school programs, you know, I, this was a deep dive. And uh, so it's, you know, this last stint was about 40, 50 days that I put about 7,800 miles onto my truck, but it started a long time ago. And people do not understand that this is not just something that just happened. Um, by saying that, you know, I know how people look at food and I know I always have to say, this isn't a judgment against anybody as far as a personal judgment about their consumption. Our consumption models have been engineered and hijacked in ways that we have no clue about. That's just the truth. And I've, I've seen it, you know, within the homeless and I've seen it within the children. And by saying that, um, <clears throat> we have to understand that it's destroying lives right now. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's something that people need to, to really wake up to. This is not me coming out here LARPing about something. This is about creating relationships. And so when people ask me, hey, how do you Bitcoin a rancher? It's like, well, one thing, you don't freaking bring up Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, that's the last thing you do. And, you know, it took me a while to really kind of understand that, you know, because we come up, we come up kind of like a used car salesman. We come out and say, hey, you accept Bitcoin? And, you know, you're all cocky and everything. You have to, people have to realize, people that are closer to the soil, as far as farmers and ranchers, they are as far away from technology as they can be. They don't, they live in a different world. And that's said with utmost respect, because they use the tools that they have to use to maneuver. And we have to remember that about Bitcoin. The best playbook and the best script that I can tell everybody, and this comes with massive success, is you go up and you shake their hand and you ask them, say, would you tell me more? Would you educate me on how, what you do and why you do it? Would you tell me where you come from? Tell me about your grandparents. And uh, once you start talking like that, you show some respect to these people. Once you can show that respect, you know, the conversation, because most of the people that are in farming and ranching, especially regenerative, beyond anything, they're educators. They want people to hear what they have to say. They, they're fascinating minds. They understand like where life comes from. They understand where nutrition truly comes from and the amount of manipulation that they've received and especially our lifetime is, is never been, well, it's been done in history, but not on this level, not with the type of communication apparatus in which we live in. So once you go in there and you establish a little respect and a little trust and, you know, it always goes in and you ask, what are your pain points? 
you know, what, what, you know, and those pain points are different from each farmer and rancher, but, and if they are selling product, they're selling beef, they're selling lamb, they're selling fowl, they're selling produce, whatever it is, you, you purchase for them. You don't bring up damn Bitcoin. What you do is you establish a relationship and then you know what you go back and then you know what you do that conversation, you know, where it leads to straight into Bitcoin. You don't even have to, you don't even have to try. And once they get that little eye-opening moment of clarity, the conversation starts talking about decentralization. It talks about store of value. You talk about, you start identifying those pain points. In the United States, you can go up to 12 out of 13 ranchers that are still factoring farming because they pretty much have to, and you'll ask them where the store of the value of the cow is. In the past, that store of the value of the cow was in the land, like I said. And at times, it's been in the cow. And if you look at Texas history, Texas became, you know, a very powerful state around 1878, all the way up to the turn of the century, for one reason, it was because of the cow. And so throughout that time, after the Mexican-American War and the Comanche Wars, uh, and after the Civil War in the United States, we had to feed a nation. So the Texas cattle industry was created uh, by that need. What we did is we rounded up a bunch of stray cattle that had been roaming the plains of Texas for the last 10 to 15 years. And we, we created the cowboy and the cowboys created out, out of the vaquero out of Mexico. And so they, they blended into something that we know today as a cowboy, a rancher, a cattleman. And, and so if you look at that, what happened is we started driving cattle to the north. We started driving them to certain forts. And we started feeding soldiers. And so at that time, from between 1878, and let's say 1890, we fed a nation and we did it very, very robustly. And so at that time, when we were doing that, the first of the, the, the value of the cow was in the cow itself. But then whenever we started creating these massive ranches in the United States and in Texas, especially, well, the value went into the land because you had a fence around the amount of land that you owned. And throughout the years, the value of that cow has changed. And going back to my point is you can ask a rancher right now, where's the value of the cow? Well, it's in the USDA insurance policy. And it has nothing to do with the cow. It has nothing to do with the land anymore. And that's a form of capture that we've never seen before. And they can't really talk about it. They, you know, there's not too many things that can be said about it. Is it dire? No. But is it truth? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of ranchers that survive every year. And, you know, we need insurance, we need crop insurance, we need animal insurance, you know, we have droughts, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. And so once you can kind of show a little understanding to that rancher, to that farmer, where they come from, man, you, they're going to listen to you then. They're not going to listen to you if you're going up to them and saying, hey, do you take Bitcoin? <laughs> mm. It just doesn't happen. And you, you turn them off. And we have to remember that as Bitcoiners, let's, let's kind of slow roll into this conversation. Let's establish a relationship of respect and trust and a little bit of honesty. And if you show intentional behavior towards them that you really do care, they'll talk about you in anything. You know, I'll be sending out Christmas cards to many ranchers this Christmas, and I hope I get some, you know, in return. And we don't have to talk about Bitcoin because when we do talk about Bitcoin, it's usually about, hey, what should I be looking at now? Hey, do you recommend, you know, how do you do the cold storage? What about, what do you know about multi-sig? And so those conversations just flow along with the conversation you started. It's basically about clean food. And if you can start really establishing the understanding that both of you are concerned about clean food, 
that is basically a farmer and a rancher collective, then we all become that collective mindset. And that's what I'm seeing with the beef initiative. You, um, I, I want to come back to this idea of insurance. Uh, I want to ask because I, I don't understand the exact uh, supply chain, I suppose you'd call it from <clears throat> cow to field to cow to dinner plate. Uh, mm -hmm. So they buy insurance against what? What are they insuring against? Well, if you look at the farmer, you, it's something called crop insurance. And, you know, here in the Midwest, you know, in the North Plains, in the Desert High Plains where I grew up, the Panhandle, you know, what are you looking at? Well, you can classify a drought as, you know, something you would need crop insurance. And so that's done through the USDA. Also, what we do is we have tornadoes and we have big hell storms. And so you've got a, a whole field of wheat or cotton or corn. You get a, a hell storm that comes through Texas and, you know, that sky turned green and you have that hell of a hell storm. Well, that's crop insurance because the hell damaged or destroyed that crop. And you look at that within the, the cow itself, the livestock itself, there's a lot of elements that happen. You know, they're, they're part of the, the land. You have winters, like here in the, wet, in the Texas panhandle, people wouldn't realize it, but you know, we'll go from, you know, it was 110 degrees most of the time whenever I was in Tennessee or doing that tour. But our winters, you know, we live close to the Rockies as well. And so you'll get these nasty winter storms that come through some blizzards at time and they'll wipe out a whole herd of cattle and there's nothing you can do about it. So that would be something that you would have insurance for, you know, elements, certain elements classify, you know, justification for insurance policies. And it's a good business model. I mean, we all know, you know, insurance comes because insurance was created because of fire you know, in, in cities. And I believe it was in England, might've been in London where the first insurance policy was ever written. And, uh, you know, that was because a fire was damaging all these uh, cities because, you know, everything was made of wood. And so that's where insurance comes from. It comes from good intentional, you know, reasons, but, you know, to this day, having a USDA insurance policy is more of a codependency, I would say, than it is something that really protects, you know, right. somebody from, a, you know, a tornado or crop damage or a blizzard. That's what I wanted to drill down into, that, that part, the codependency yeah. part. Are the farmers being, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, used in some way by the, oh, the insurance companies 100%. or leveraged by the insurance companies? Well, that, that... Yeah, I mean, this is global insurance stuff here, man. Hell yeah, mm. it's, it has to do with the insurance you look at, you know, not all ranchers use an insurance policy because they don't want to be under that umbrella, you know, and we've talked about before what, what type of umbrella. Well, that's the umbrella of a bear right now, of course, and I'm not afraid to say it because it's just the truth. I mean, it's the it's reality. I mean, you have your technology use agreement, you know, certain farmers can't grow certain crops. You have to use certain chemicals. You know, same with the cow. If you're going to go through the factory farming of a cow, you're going to have to use certain injections. You're going to have to use certain things to be eligible for an insurance policy. So you wow. get insurance companies that are talking to the chemical companies and you have global lobbyists that have unlimited amount of power and, and pull. Hell yeah, the cow, you know, everybody looks at a cowboy now and, you know, a rancher and, you know, them bless their hearts that a lot of them can't say anything and like i say this is not a judgment against them man they know exactly how to steward the land and steward the cattle 
It's just that they have to answer to certain policies and you get some old school dudes that come from like the fifties and sixties, you know, they're not changing. They think this is how you ranch, but you know, but then you get a newer, uh, younger generations that are going, you know, like Cole Bolton and Jason Rick and Justin Trammell, people that are in the beef initiative, they're saying this is changing and they have hard conversations with their, you know, their elders sometimes, you know, their parents and their grandparents and by, you know, it just being the way it is, where I'm sitting right here over my shoulder, probably less than a half a mile is a, a place called West Texas A&M Agriculture. And that's the A&M system in the state of Texas. Well, you go over there and I can look on those walls and I can see the people that got us here. And you can look throughout history and you can look whenever the chemical company was injected into the, the cattle, the farming and ranch industry in the United States. You can do your own damn research, but just people just don't. And so, yeah, there's a form of capture. And I'm not saying all chemicals are bad. You know, that's it's, this, this is not a black or white issue. What this is about is, is control and giving, you know, sovereignty back to the, the rancher in a way that we can get better beef in the United States and better market access to beef in the United States. But then again, this is just not a United States thing. This is an Australian thing. This is a Europe thing right now. This is everywhere. It's not, nobody's immune to this. And you guys, you guys have different type of processing apparatus in Europe than we do in the United States and then we do in Texas. So everybody has to go and look at their environments and their communities and say, where, you know, where is this market access? Where is that bottleneck? Because right now with that USDA insurance policy, the biggest bottleneck to our nutrition for us and our children right now is the global four processing centers. And I'm not the only one that's saying that, man, more ranchers are coming out and saying, you're damn right, this is the problem. You had those cattle that passed away in Kansas that, you know, from the elements, and that was an element thing. What had happened yeah, I, I was going to heat... ask you about that. That 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 was real because uh, yeah, yeah. So a lot of oh, us yeah. over here, we were like, this sure. this looks like <laughs> this is a coordinated weird. attack. Yeah, what it was, you know, in the videos, and this comes from boots on the ground. I mean, we 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 have access to those ranchers. I have access to those people. You know, Texas rancher and other ranchers. They know other ranchers. So, and this is the the honest truth. Of what happened in Kansas with ten thousand cattle? You look at those pictures and they're all belly up and they're all stacked right next to each other. Well, there was more than one feed yard that these cattle came from. That was basically stacking them up probably for insurance purposes, you know, to come and look at everything and to destroy them or get rid of whatever they could utilize off that cow insurance policies. You know, government work had to be done after that many cattle die. But what had hap truly happened, and make no mistake, these were fat cattle. This is what they're called, fat cattle. They were one step away from that kill shoot in getting into the system as far as becoming meat and something that's sold across wherever it was going to be sold. So these cattle in modern day times, you know, those are Angus cattle. They're tough, but, you know, cattle need to cool down during the days or during the night. These cattle, went the, once this heat wave hit, there was no cooling down. And what they never did is these cattle never did cool down to a healthy level. Once again, they were close to metabolic failure in a sense because they're fat cattle. They're going to make the most money the fatter they are. That's the business, right? You have to have fat cattle to make money. And then the people that make that money are the four big global processing centers. 
And so what these cattle, they didn't have enough shade that day. The heat wave hit, it stayed around for an extended period of time of over 100 degrees. It was one of those uh, heat waves that hits the Midwest, and they do hit. We do have elements out here in the Wild West, and we have them at extreme. And so these cattle, usually they'll, they'll get on the ground, and you, if they would have had grass to you know, put their bellies on, they probably would have cooled down. You get that many cattle that are about to go into the kill shoots, they're belly to belly walking through and they're, you know, they're all, you know, put together. That was probably not a good thing. Probably not enough water or the heat wave that came through, not enough shade. They couldn't cool down and it does. They, 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 they all suffocate. That's what happens being that big. That goes through a process because they're eating certain feeds, you know, to get fattened up. And so that changes their metabolical health as a cow. But if you go again, once again, it's not against the rancher. The rancher is doing what they have to do to survive. If you go into a regenerative place, of course, it's going to be a totally different protocol, totally different system. Mm -hmm. That just does not happen. But it'll be exploited. And in the long run, you'll look back at this time that it'll be used against those ranchers. And, you know, that rancher that was a big part of that, uh, I can't think his name is James, but he was on Tucker Carlson. Did you see that interview? No. Okay, go back and look at the Tucker Carlson interview with the rancher about the cattle. You can find it. There's a clip. It's probably about 10 minutes, but it's a good clip. And what that rancher, he's explaining everything. You know, this is this happens. This is an elements. That was 10,000 cattle. That was a $20 million loss is what that was. But in the United States, we process over 600,000 cattle. And so it's a small hit. And it's not about, you know, the, I, I saw something that they were getting shot from lasers, you know, in from space and that, they, you know, that they died because of, you know, they were poisoned or, and all that. I'm not saying these were healthy cattle. They died because of the protocol and the apparatus in which they have to function. So I'm not saying that this is, you know, there is not concern because there is concern with that interview that he gave Tucker, he was really trying to say, as a rancher will say, saying, hey, people, you need to understand what's going out on here. We're getting driven out of business and you're not paying attention to the right things. And people aren't. They don't know and they don't even realize that, you know, the Texas cattle rancher and the United States cattle rancher really has been driven out of $200 million of revenue the last several years. They don't know that these JBS, these Cargills, these Tysons, these Nationals, that's the big four, have been fined over a half a billion dollars for price manipulation. They are driving the cattlemen out of business in the United States of America. The more that we lose the ranch, we've lost 40% of our ranching land and our ranchers. The average age of a rancher right now in the United States is like 62, and nobody's coming in to take the place. Well, once we quit raising cattle in the United States, it's gone forever. And where it goes, it goes to Brazil. It goes to Africa. And that's where we'll be getting our beef. And people don't realize this. And right now, a lot of Americans are eating beef from Africa and Brazil. They're not eating American beef. They're not eating Texas beef. That beef gets sold overseas for the highest bids. And so people need to really understand what's going on in the ranching and cattle industry in the United States. Because it's going to come up and they're going to basically wake up one day and they're not going to have any market access to some good food. And until people start creating a whole new consumer demand instead of the supermarket consumer demand and put their damn foot down, then this is going to, this is going to start going into a, in a way that, you know, there won't be no, there will, there will be no turning around. 
it's not that they're killing the cattle industry, they're killing it for the common man. And that's what the common man needs to start waking up to. Can you wind back regulation though? Like, uh, are they sure. still, you can, this is a, no, this is, right. Yeah. This, there's, there's political things that are going on in Washington and Texas and everything. There's some fighters out there. One thing that I've seen in my lifetime is, you know, ranchers, honestly, I'm not saying this in a nefarious or a bad way. A lot of ranchers don't like each other. You know, it's a competition thing. You know, it's like, oh, oh you, of course. Smart, you smart ass. You don't know what the hell you're doing. My bull's you know, bigger but, than your bull's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but what you do get, in, in, if we can kind of switch that pendulum a little bit of getting a little bit more of a decentralized sovereign thinking, you get ranchers that start teaming up together and they start one uh, realizing they can work together and they can have some effect. And you in Texas, you've got some good, decent people that are helping, but boy, you know, the globalists are getting into the food industry within mm. legislation, you know, that one world food group, those contracts are, you heard me last year, those mm -hmm. contracts have been signed. There's no turning back. The, this is a food industrial shift that's going on across the world. And you kind of saw it in the 70s. I mean, you did. You saw, you know, that's when the fake commodities, these seed oils, these fake proteins, everything got introduced during that decade. You know, that's when we started eating soybean, at, you know, for steak in school, you know, and it was an experiment on the state's school systems. And they're doing the same thing right now. And what I tell people what's going on right now in the food industrial shift is they're basically stacking a whole new level of nutritional poverty on the, the one that already exists. And, and people don't know how to really disseminate that. And they don't, what are you talking about? Well, you know, you look at what is poverty? I ask people this all the time. What is poverty? Well, it's nutritional starvation. You, you can't function in a, in a normal society if you're nutritionally starved. And so poverty, that's, that's what it dictates is that you have no market access to food. And, you know, on this trip that I went all the Texas to Tennessee barn raising tour, you know, I went from Tennessee, I went Missouri, Arkansas, parts of Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, you know, I went through the deep South, you know what I saw, I saw a hell of a lot of poverty. And, um, mm -hmm. and people don't see it. I didn't take the interstates all the time I had to whenever you know, but I was back roads. And I was going through these communities, which all the Bitcoiners need to know that are out there that exist. There's oasis. There's beautiful little small towns out there that can be rebuilt, but they're going to be rebuilt starting with food. Yep. And most of these towns, you know what they have as a grocery store in a lot of places here in the United States? It's called the Dollar General. It's a dollar store. And that's what it is. That's what they sell. And they used that's to, that's what people always, are subsisting on that. Like that's, that's the damn right. Oh my yeah. God. And that's what they have. And if they don't, their, their, their market, their grocery store is so damn expensive that they can't afford it because all they're called food deserts in these small towns across America. They've both mostly become food deserts. And you look at that and it's a travesty because these small communities are the ones that used to actually feed the nation because mm. they were the grain towns. They were the small farm communities and they're still there. They're, they're ghostly. You know, they got a lot of poverty, but you want to talk about opportunity. I've never seen more opportunity in my life right now. And people need to start understanding that. And it starts with the food. It starts with the regenerative movement. It starts with getting back to the source of the seed of what our grandparents did. 
because you know small communities here in Texas, especially, you've got mothballed after mothballed processing center that used to be there, and that's how everybody sourced their beef was in that one from that one processing. They were the butcher, and then you know they were the processor, they were the supplier, they were the market access to that community around you know that small town, and everybody contributed. And you had access. You didn't have to worry about it. It was just something that was there. I mean, if you traded in a cow, you say, hey, you want to trade a hog for a cow? Sure, let's do it. And then you did. And you go half and half, whatever. You had negotiation rights. You had peer-to-peer -peer market access that you created. You were the two touch points. And that's, you know, I've seen that. I've lived it. That's how my grandfather lived. That's how my whole family lived. My other side of my family, my grandfather ran a, gran a grain elevator. So that was a farming ranching side of things. He always traded for beef. And, you know, you look how I'm approaching the beef initiative. That's all we're doing. We're doing peer-to-peer -peer access with a decentralized sound money currency. And, you know, it takes education. It takes a little time to get there. But the poverty that I saw in this trip, Daniel, it, it, wasn't, it, was, it was bad. I saw a lot of metabolical, you know, people that are obese and unhealthy. And, you know, the conversations that I had with people, there's not a lot of people that are healthy these days. I mean, you know who got hit the worst during after 1971 were these small farming communities. And my family suffers from it just as much as anybody. Every one of my cousins, not everyone, but on certain sides of my family, every one of my cousins are suffering from MS, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and we all came from the same place, but I continued down a different path of nutrition and, and food. They got captured because they stayed in those small towns, and every one of them now are extremely unhealthy because the food changed that dramatically from grandma making it to basically, you know, the corporation chemical companies making it, and that's where we are, and, you know, you know I have proof you know, I have it in my own family where I'm not making this crap up, man. It's, it's widespread and people just don't talk about it because they don't understand food intelligence right now. They don't understand that they need that new clarity of, you know, where food truly comes from. So when you're making this trip, did you mm -hmm. find that, that last bastion of American hope, the, the, the diner where, where you can walk in and, and, and get a, a good beefsteak or a good burger, or have they just completely been desolated as well? They've been deaf from 10 years ago. They've been wiped out. You're going to get your places that have good tourists, good traffic, people coming through. You're going to get your type of diners that are based and doing it right. They're there. Yeah. I was in a place called Farmington, Missouri, and it was uh, in, it's out there in uh, St. Francis County, Missouri, and somebody's doing a Missouri beef initiative out there in that county. Well, I met a guy and he was from Florida. Um, and he basically had created kind of a food shed type of coffee shop place to where it was all local sourced, you know, is a local diner. The Amish are really big there. And, uh, you know, he buys a lot of his produce from the Amish in, in Ryan. He started the beef initiative there. He's out on a horse farm and uh, the, and it's also a hay farm. Well, they sell some of the best hay in that part of Missouri. Well, the Amish in the Mennonites, I apologize. I can't remember if it was Amish or Mennonites in this community. But it was one of the two, and shame on me. But what they're doing, they buy their hay from the hay farmer. 
Well, the, the Amish and Minimax, they basically raise the produce. Well, this guy that's opening up this food shed type of diner place, he's sourcing this fruit from the Minimax. They're already decentralized. They're already doing this. All we have to do is introduce Bitcoin in an educational way to every one of these communities. And that three-point system from retail to wholesale to consumer, it's there. There's, it's happening. But then going back to the original question, most of the diner type of system, it's been lost. I was in last year when I went all the way up to North Dakota, I went into a place called Mott, North Dakota, and there's a restaurant. You can look it up. It's called the Pheasant. And uh, you look up that menu and every bit of it is shipped in from hundreds of miles away and every bit of it is fried. Every bit of it. And seed oils. And so seed oils, yeah. And you look at that menu, it's fried cheese, fried pickles, fried, fried. And that's a local community that's been captured. And when I was on that harvest that we had kind of fun talking about, one thing I did right down the road from that type of food, though, there's a, it's called the 40 acres. You look up the 40 acres outside of Mott, North Dakota, all you plebs out there, give them a call, talk, start talking to them. But I talked to them and it was during COVID. They were really worried about getting shut down because of the mandates and masks. And they were coming after, you know, places out can, but they, they raise their own beef. They do their own grain. They do the grass fed and they process their own beef right there in that same place. Well, very few people that I saw really wanted even to eat that food because they don't even know what food is. Most people are driving over an hour and a half from North Dakota to Walmart. And I've, I've posted some pictures before of, you know, me taking a haul of food, but once we got, you know, for the crew and once we got back to Mott, I went out and met these guys and I bought hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of dollars of beef. And I started cooking two meals a night, you know, for the crew and, you know, people are just freaked. I mean, it's like paradise to them because they're used to, you know, you hear me all the time, chicken tendies and pizza pockets. Yep. You know, that's what they live on. And that's what these communities are living on these days. They're living off this industrial food complex. They don't know how to get out of it. They really don't. And that's, that's why we got to start really getting hyper-localized and really approaching people that are actually trying to feed the community and really work with them. This is not an Amazon.com shopping experience. And people need to, you know, understand that. How, how does it affect you? Because you... I feel you're stuck in the middle, right? Uh, I think you're Gen X. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we kind of find ourselves stuck in the middle of all, all of this, whereas um, certainly on the, the our older generation, uh, the boomers, very much stuck in their ways. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, the younger generation have just suffered. Like what we went through in the 70s and 80s growing up and all that cereal, because they come for the kids first. That's where mm -hmm. it starts. You can see the pattern. Like when we were introduced to this industrial complex food, it's the cereals. So how do you get cereals into the household? You market to the kids. And every week I remember like there was a new cereal on the shelves with a new free toy. It is disgusting looking back at it. And then mm -hmm. came the microwave meals with the advent of the microwave and, and whatever else, or the TV dinner meals or the, um, the frozen pizzas, the frozen ready meals and, and all of that. But you market to the kids first, always. So now we've got uh, the generation below us, uh, which have just grown up knowing this stuff. 
every time you take a child into the supermarket is aisle upon aisle upon aisle upon it wasn't like that when we were kids right mm -hmm. sure you had aisles but you didn't have all of the fun colorful stuff that was you know i want this i want this i want this i want this i want them before you know it your trolley is full of absolute shit yeah um how so how do you deal with that how, how do you look at um like educating uh like for example your son and mm -hmm. at the same time your parents like sure well i i'm lucky i am i and i'm very gracious that i have a easier path of that communication and that education to children um you know my my son and i you know he lived with his mother during his you know teenage years because it, outside of austin it was a decent school district so that's what we decided but you know he's he was around uh you know his his mother's side of the family and they're very anti you know beef they're they're, they're exactly you know everything that you know i'm i'm against and, and one thing and from a personal note it was education. It was it was having conversations with him ever since he was young. My son never consumed a lot of sugar. He never liked it. I, I never had him around it. And and we would go as as a child to H E B. That's what they have in Austin. And I would say, hey, what do you want? And it just because it, it started at a younger a young age that he was pretty aware that he didn't like things. I mean, he did get go through a phase, you know, during the 14, 15, 16 type of thing where eating freaking, you know, chips, you know, all these spicy chips. They're called Takis here in the United States. And they're like fire, you know, the chemicals in them are just, you know, make your tongue burn. So it was kind of the thing. He went through a phase of eating that shit, but he, he basically understood you know, I told him any time that he, he ever tried to spend any of my money at a convenience store that he was never getting another dime from me. And and I told him he wasn't going to help any of his kids either, his friends, buy that crap. And he was really responsible towards that. And then he, during COVID, I got him a big weight set and turned his room into a, basically a gym. And I started talking to him about protein. I talked to him about food intelligence. And he really took the initiative and he started cooking, you know, he started drinking raw eggs, you know, everything that we did on the show. But, uh, you know, he, he, he listened. And, and, you know, as far as my parents, um, the one thing I do see, and they are, you know, the boomer. The, my father was born in 1941. My mother was born in 1945. And so they're not really boomers right on the cusp. They were war babies. And so what I see with them is that mom, she was a farm girl, you know, she never graduated high school. She was a heritage woman. And what she did though, she, she understood that the farm was health and that's how we were raised. They, you know, they slaughtered a chicken every day. They had fried chicken every day. They had beef all the time. They had sausage, they had eggs, they had corn, they had okra, they had tomatoes, they had everything. It, it was just health. It was health. And so what was been hard for her to understand is how that changed and when it changed. And that kind of goes back to the harvest of deception that I wrote. And once she started reading that and, you know, understanding, because it is a multi-pronged approach for education, but once somebody like the older generation starts, is, is willing to look at that, they, they do go down and they start understanding because, you know, my mother died at her whole life. You know, she tried to do the right thing, as they all do, as everybody does. 
and it was always a fighting losing battle because of the grains of that food pyramid of how they captured our understanding because they used a lot of our our united states of america they used our basically our pride our heritage our legacy against us and like i said that's why the the small farming communities have been hit the worst because now they're the most poorest and suffering from the most poverty and the most nutritionally uh, starved communities across the United States. So, you know, my mother is, you know, she's on board, but then my dad's easy. He's 81. He just turned 81. I mean, he's the one that fed me beef whenever I was a child. So it's, it's easy. He just wants more steak. (laughs) More steak, son. Let's go. Yes. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, and we, we just got him a new freezer. I actually found one for a hundred dollars. So he's got two quarter, uh, four cubic, uh, freezers. That's a half a cow. So we're, we're ramping up our game here too. Love it, mate. I love it. Let's go yeah. back to like, um, shaking your rancher's hand. Uh, this idea of, um, can, you know, d- does Bitcoin fix this, right? That this is, the game i like to play does mm-hmm. bitcoin fix their dependence on the insurance company uh, mm-hmm. is, is there a futures market for beef or is that just grains and other commodities no, there's and... yeah there, there's yeah it's everything in the beef industry as well oh hell yeah I mean, okay it's a big old freaking it's a big old freaking oh, casino yeah. oh, of course yeah. there is yeah because you yeah. have hog futures and right okay oh hell yeah so it's commodity commodity subsidies you know subsidy blah 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 so they're forced into these markets as well right Mm -hmm. which they're forced they're forced in these markets all right this is the catch point here it is this is the Mm -hmm. hardcore education right now if they're if they're having to get their stuff processed by a major four processor Mm -hmm. right that usually so they're means dependent they're on also- the processor. So like the, yeah, so they're dependent on first of all the insurance, which mm-hmm. you can only buy if you are playing by the rules of the processor. And then sure. you're dependent on the processor to process your meat. Uh, yeah. if and, if you get you it lose there. Yeah, if you get it there, a lot of people, a lot of ranchers will sell their cattle before it even gets to the processor. Like they go out and they'll graze that cattle, you know, on grass. And then once that grass is, you know, they're done with the grass and it's time to finish off that cow, they go ahead and sell it then. And they go sell it through the, you know, the stockyards. And they, that's where you get your futures and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of ranchers just get rid of it at that point in time. Profit margins are far, far smaller, you know, whenever you do that, because then the processor takes that, you know, factory cow now, turns into a fat cow. Well, how do they turn into a fat cow? Well, they use grains and they use everything that is, you know, from, you know, all the grain companies from Cargill, Monsanto, blah, 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 you know, all of, everything we already know. And so once they, you know, and then that processor, that's where they can go in, really manipulate the price of beef on the global scale. They can really take some of the best beef in the United States and ship it overseas. And, you know, like I said, to the highest bidder. So there's a lot that the rancher has been taken away out yeah, that's mm. that, that, that next phase. They don't even want anything to do with it. It's like, screw it, you know, right. but then, and then, and then though, whenever you get somebody that's not under that umbrella, the regenerative farmer and rancher within the beef initiative that we have access to our own processing centers, we're not answering to anybody except the health of that cow and the health of your family. So, just just to clarify a few of the uh you know some of the terminology here the processor when you sell to the processor 
they will finish the cow with yep. their grains or whatever else and then sure. process the cow like uh like harvest mm -hmm. the cow what, what's the right terminology i'm looking for yeah harvest in you know not only the grains but then they'll give them the injections you know they'll give them some steroids okay they'll do whatever the protocol that they've established that protocol is established by the fda and the usda so there's no telling the protocol and it changes yearly of course and that's a whole new story there but that's so can where the, the farmer can, can the rancher get it straight to a meat processing unit or is it easy look what you're saying is it's easy and far more profitable for them just to sell to the processor because the processor is going to give them the best price because then they know they can fatten a cow up and they have all the injections and whatever else to then get it to the meat processing unit. Like, yeah. Well, and to that point, you know, the, the, the cattle rancher, the reason that he's not taking it to another processor is because he doesn't have access to another processor. So that right. drives his decision. He's like, I, I, the other processor is 300 miles away, you know, used to is just in the next County. Mm -hmm. And now it's 300 miles away. And in, in those processing dates, if they try to see the fruition of that cow all the way through the processor well that, that date's usually it could be 18 months away and so they mm -hmm. have to steward that cow the whole time so what becomes the means to the end is to hit that date it doesn't really have to do with the cow anymore it has to do with well if i miss that date i can't get this cow processed i've just lost the last two years of, of raising this cow and so there's so much that plays into that by saying that, uh, that's the reason that's the bottleneck of everything is the processor because the processor is the processor. They harvest the animal, then they basically, uh, you know, cut the animal up and then they become the supplier as well. They mm -hmm. control distribution and market access and they sell that market access to the highest bidders. Right. Some of the best beef in Texas goes to China. Some of the shit beef comes from Brazil and Africa goes to that local uh, Kroger or that local HEB. And so, you know, we lose all control of our market access to our beef. So and does they the manipulate rancher, the market. Of course. And that's yeah. why they get, you know, you know, JBS was fined $56 million a couple months ago for price manipulation during COVID. Made very little headway. And anyways, $56 million is nothing. What they didn't say is that JBS made $500 million profit during that same time. So they got a slap on the hand and here mm -hmm. we go. We're up back out, back to the races, you know, mm -hmm. and it's the same thing. It never stops. It's a 12 month cycle. That of would just be baked into their business model. They know a fine thing. This is disgusting. And our politicians don't do anything, but I'm going to tell everybody right now, and this is a part of the accountability. Once you have this education as a consumer, it's on you because mm -hmm. you have to create, you have to create a new consumer demand. And if you're going to play in that clown world, which, which it is, and it's nothing but manipulation and destroying our, our food supply, that's on you because you have to go out there with intentional behavior moving forward. You can't be complacent anymore and just search for convenience when it comes to pure animal protein. It, those days are gone. And, and you better start getting very intentional about that and take that sense of responsibility. And, I, you know, that's what the Beef Initiative is a global event. This is something of global movement. I mean, I've got people calling me from Australia, from Europe to Africa to, you know, different parts of the, of the world. You know, a lot of similarities are going on. This is a global problem. This is a global solution. And it's up to us to create that new consumer demand in the right direction might be a little hard in the beginning but once we get this thing going like look how fast this has happened within yeah. the beef initiative 
I mean, Daniel, so what, we're, we've sold between one hundred and two hundred thousand dollars worth of beef through the beef initiative. You know, this so is I happening. Ask, like this, this is what this is my missing piece of the puzzle here. Okay. So if you guys go up to a rancher and you say, just small, we want one cow. Mm -hmm. So they do not have to take that cow to the processor. Are they able to kill and harvest the cow for you? Or do they have to go to a third party to do that? How does well, that work? It works across the board and it works from state to state. And let's say like today, I, before I got here, I went and bought 20 pounds of ground beef from Justin up here in the Panhandle. Mm -hmm. And then, so if I have a cow and uh, I want a cow, or if I've got several cows and I've got a cow that I bought from my buddy over here, uh, Joe, and I, I say, Joe, I want to buy that cow. And he's going to say, where are you going to process? It? And I said, well, Justin, because Justin has Panhandle meats. Justin is one of the first processors. He's also an animal producer. He's a grass farmer. And now he owns his own processing center. Mm -hmm. So he is the market access of that cow getting processed. Okay. So if I go, let's go down to Lubbock and it's about 105 miles from where I'm right now. I buy a cow and I'm going to say, where can I get this processed? He might say, sorry, you're going to have to take it somewhere else. I don't know. We don't have a local processor. All we got around here is JBS, Cargill, National and Tyson. Mm. so it depends on where you are it really does but in the state of texas this is one thing that you know i kind of kept quiet is these processing centers are opening up and within the beef initiative we just announced last night with cole with knc cattle well what cole is he controls that cow from the soil to the grass you know to the cow itself he's the producer he's the rancher well now here in the first of august our process his processing center what we will be using through with the beef initiative in the state of Texas in that region of Texas is his processing center. We don't have to ask for permission. It's USDA certified. We don't have to answer to any USDA insurance. We don't have to answer to bear umbrella. We, it's a clean processing, no chemicals in those cows whatsoever. So we have full vertical integration now from the ground all the way to your plate from table to fork basically we have it now and that's the beautiful thing about it we've decentralized that process we cut out those global four processing centers and so here in texas that is happening more and more people are going to start opening up these processing centers and within the beef initiative we have four processing centers that we can put on our belt that we can say our team that i put together our advisory council will will basically consult people wanting to open up processing centers in the state of texas we're moving forward with it i have a legal team that is helping us out they're working pro bono because they want to learn about bitcoin and so they're out of tennessee yeah and so all this is starting to happen to where we're creating that market access through the processing center and once we've done that, once we're up and running with coal and KNC cattle, coal has got, we, me and coal are vetting about four to five new producers, ranchers out there that basically want to come our way, go through our processing centers. Once that happens, that's where you get that momentum. And we've created a whole new market access for our local and regional communities. And this, right. this is happening. So for the Euro plebs that are listening, uh, the way I believe it works in, in many of the European countries here, uh, you will have a local abattoir. Yes. Uh, you've just got to go and figure out where that is and then find. So this is if you want a homestead. If you want a homestead, you would have to take 
the the animal to to an abattoir. Uh, as far as your local farmer, we buy directly from our farmer, like once a quarter when he's he's ready to go. Um, he just sends me an SMS, and uh, you know we're good to go and just pick it up and give him cash. I've not managed to orange peel him yet. Uh, as we were talking about in our last podcast, but uh, we'll work on it. But we've now got an Aussie guy, and I know you're listening, Bowl, um, mm-hmm. who's a big fan of yours and, and been listening to what you're doing. He's moved across to France, and he's learning how to become a farmer. So I'm now just wondering, yeah. how does your pricing structure work? So how does one set up that? If he says, hey, I'm throwing my hand up. I'm going to raise sheep uh, to begin with. Um I need to sell X amount and I'm is willing to accept Bitcoin because he's a Bitcoiner. Uh, we pay him up front or you do pay in stages or, you know, fill us in. Like what was the best yeah. method that you've found? Well, the best method there, I'll, I'll give you an example of what we do in Texas. And I don't see it being any different really across the world in certain places that, you know, if I call Justin up and, you know, I say, Hey, I want to, I want to get a full cow but I'll, I want it throughout the next year. And he'll say, well, I'll do a quarter here, a quarter here, a quarter here, and a quarter here. Well, he gets to set that price because he knows his input cost. He knows exactly how much he needs to make off that cow. You know, if you usually a cow that's being sold through a factory farm, like the cat, the rancher gets rid of it at that point in time, I told you about, then it's finished off. He probably makes about $400 off that cow. Well, that processing center has the ability to make $2,000 off that cow once they cut it up and everything. So you negotiate that with your processor, your producer. And in right now, beef, I just bought 20, 20 pounds, uh, or it was 18 pounds for $100. That's $5.25 a pound for ground beef. That's the best beef you're going to find, and it's, it's, it's 10 times better than you, what you're going to find in the supermarket. So what you're seeing now because of, you know, hyperinflation across the world is that you're seeing that these local producers are actually, their prices are staying the same because they don't have all those input costs. And so them manipulating beef across the world, turning it into caviar, well, the regenerative farmer and rancher is actually taking this power move and saying, well, I'm going to keep my prices the same and I'm not going to inflate them just because all these corporations are doing it. They don't have to. And, and so that's where the price becomes, you know, you're going to get people that gouge you, you know, within anybody. It's, it's capitalism, right? It's free market. So, you know, everybody that I deal with, like Cole with KNC, I mean, you can go there and get a beef box. I guarantee you cannot get that quality or that price in our supermarket these days. And so that's something that's working in our favor. But Cole is keeping his price very, very uh, fair. And he wants to build quality within his consumers, people that want to reach out to him. He doesn't want to go out there and get new people all the time. He wants repeat customers. And that's what we were establishing in the beef initiative, especially within the Bitcoin community. And so, you know, you're going to find right now, I would look overall if we had to have a universal answer that is buying, it's, it's just as the same price or cheaper buying from a local producer these days. And that's a beautiful thing. So the way I, I think um, this guy wants to work it is uh, that the cost is front loaded by, um, but then you've got to, you've got to figure out like, you know, what, Bitcoin's going to do what Bitcoin's going to do, right? So you've mm-hmm. got to take the risk of the volatility on. 
Which well, that's a good question. It's a good yeah. question. And, you know, I've had this conversation with some really good ranchers that are pretty money savvy. And I, I asked that question because that's something that's being asked, especially lately, you know, going all the way to 50 something, all the way down 20 and everything. But one thing that the ranchers, you know, what we have to understand as Bitcoiners is the ranchers looks at me and said, what volatility? You don't think I freaking deal with volatility? <laughs> You know, you look at the price manipulations, you look at the corruption, you look at droughts, you look at elements, you look at all that kind of stuff. And they're like, whatever, man. You know, you look at Cole with KNC cattle. I don't know what his split was, but everything that he did since January, about two weeks ago, he announced over there whenever I was at, uh, at Bitcoin Park in Nashville and uh, in the studios, the new studios, he's basically the first rancher that has gotten a full coin now trading for beef, beef and wow. Bitcoin. He is a full coiner and it only took him six months. And so what was his split? Well, that's his damn problem. I mean, his, 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 that's his business. It, it, it's not our problem to worry about. That's up to the rancher to figure out because it's obligation and accountability. He needs to know what he needs to make. He needs to know what he wants to store. Some of them might just do 2.7% because of the credit card fees that they're saving. Some might go 50-50. It's going to be up to that individual producer to figure that out. You can't say that there's a magic, you know, potion here, a magic, magic you know, statistical way of doing this. And Cole is growing. His business is growing. He's harvesting. We're going to harvest over between 1,200 and 2,000 cattle this year through the uh, through through KNC Cattle, his processing center and beef initiative. This is happening. And in what they're seeing, these ranchers are seeing. You got Jason Rick out in Colorado, Rick Ranches. You know, he was pretty tuned into Bitcoin when he came my way. And you know, he's, he's growing as a rancher and he's basically okay with the volatility of Bitcoin right now. He gets it and he wants more. He wants more Bitcoin. What a better way to get a rancher Bitcoined, you know, orange pilled is basically, you know, make them earn it and they want to earn it instead of buying it. They don't want to buy that crap. They don't, they're not consumers. They're producers. You know, at the very heart of who they are, they produce, they don't consume anything they do consume is because they need that input so they can run their life and their business. And so you want to get, you know, somebody that understands and then will be orange pilled is let them ranch pill you and you can orange pill them after they've ranch pilled you. And that's what we're starting to say. We're in a debate right now. We call it ranch pilling or cow pilling. So we're going <laughs> to, we're going to have a vote. So. <laughs> Uh, I think they've got the upper hand because we have been in a food desert for so long, as you know. Uh, right. But I, I, and yeah, yeah, I love this idea of demanding Bitcoin for your produce because, and I did a tweet, this is timely, I did a tweet just two days ago. Like for those of you out there that are still like scratching your heads, like, oh yeah, that's great. There's a bunch of OGs and there's a bunch of whales. How, how are we ever going to, you know, they're going to own the market. They're going to manipulate the market. It's like, yeah, well, you know what? Produce shit they want and demand payment in Bitcoin and see what fucking happens because Hell Bitcoin yeah. will fly your way quicker than you could. Like, that's how we make this transfer of wealth actually happen and get You're everybody off the fiat standard. Hell yeah. And you don't look at Bitcoin and say number go up. If that's who you're going to be, then good luck. I'm sorry. And I say this and I said at the very beginning during times of mass prohibition, you need to create times of mass innovation. 
We have never been gifted another, uh, the biggest opportunity in our lives, Daniel, of to do something with Bitcoin. And it's not going to be sitting there and I hodl, I buy it and I hodl, you know, I do. But guess what? I, I don't mind playing around with a couple of thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin to buy beef. I have no problem doing that because it's value for value exchange. It helps my family. It helps my life. It helps my health. There's no, if you're not, if you think that you're going to go out there and hodl Bitcoin and keep on eating pizza pockets and take chicken tendies you ain't going to be anything because you ain't even going to be able to stand up or have any empowerment to you because your nutrition is so bad put bitcoin to work and how and leverage it in a way that a rancher needs it to be leveraged therefore you establish relationship you re establish a new lifestyle new education a new monetary system that is sound money sound health sound communications for a sound future we have to start thinking like that as Bitcoiners. I can't, you, you know, in the beginning, you said there's no LARPing going on here. I can't live my life without doing proof of work every day. And I have relationships with ranchers. I am not an active rancher right now, but I've been around it. I was raised that way and everything. One thing I know is what I know as being a cowboy and from Texas, if I'm not working just as hard as those ranchers, you want to talk about getting called out? I'm not afraid of the Bitcoin community to think I'm a LARPer. Step, on, step up on my ass and see what you think. You know, I'll look you in straight in the eye. You know, I get trolled all the time, but all these guys are just sitting behind their little curtain, digital curtain, you know, having their chicken tendies. And so, you know, I answer to the rancher, that work ethic. And, you know, I was talking to Jason Rick of Rick Ranches, and a lot of these ranchers get a lot of people saying, I want to come out and work. I'm sorry, this is, I'm not saying it to being a mean person or anything, but maybe a little bit of a smart ass. You couldn't last a day working with these guys. They do proof of work every day of their lives. And so if I'm not doing what I'm doing right within the beef initiative, I'm going to get called out by the right people. And I know right now I've got some respect in the ranching community and that's hard fought and it's done with respect and trust and honesty. It's the only way you're going to approach any of this. If you can approach your food in a trusting honest way that is basically validated through basically building relationships you're not going to you're not going to change your life bitcoin's not going to fix this for you and you have to you have to leverage it in certain ways and the, the the playbook is there you know i sent you something earlier from oshi you know the beef initiative and the oshi app you know we can onboard people now we have proof of work we have the technology stack everybody has to go out and find you know they have to go out on an exploration they have to get out of their house and they have to go meet people and establish these relationships. I mean, you've done it. I mean, maybe, maybe your producer won't be on Bitcoin for a year or two. We don't know, but you, you know where you're getting your animal protein. That's the most important thing right now. And once, once it's ready, maybe once, you know, the adoption period is a little bit easier, there's less friction. It'll be a no brainer. He'll say, sure. And then here you are, you're off to the races and it will, it'll happen like that overnight. You know, I remember innovating in Austin during, you know, e-commerce services, you know, when you, nobody would even buy a pair of shoes on the internet, right? And everybody was terrified. I'm not putting that information out there. You know, people buy 10 pair of shoes in 10 seconds, and it's just, this is how the things are. Once we get to a certain point within technology and innovation, especially with these layers, the lightning network, you know, the node building, everything, this will happen. And, and if we've established those relationships with people that are producing clean food, we've already, we're a leg up. We're one step ahead of most people in this world. And that's how we have to think as Bitcoiners. 
So once these ranches, uh, let, let, let's take KNC for, for an example, because uh, it mm -hmm. seems as though they're a little bit ahead of the game. Now they're taking Bitcoin in, KYC free sats, just, just yep. hitting their, their bottom line. It's not going to be too long before they can start pulling away from the trap of the insurance companies mm -hmm. and from the trap from the, uh, the processors. It blows you away that like this idea of Bitcoin being a store of value, like how people like struggle to see this. Sure, it's a, you know volatile as we just spoke about in in the short term, but as usual, Bitcoin flips the game board in the favor of the the demand on the street, the producer, that that person that has has been willing to put in the work and understand it. It it's so humbling every single time. What what's been like uh, the the biggest mm -hmm. surprise? to you over the last like nine months that uh you know something's happened that you just did not see happening like an unintended consequence of of your work or of your writing or of you coming on the podcast mm -hmm. good or bad or both i mean both. there's been both well i'll start with the good of course the best thing that i i wake up to every day is that i've got people writing me now from across the world saying you changed my life that's pretty big <laughs> and so that's that's really important <clears throat> that wasn't something i was looking out to do right that's just something that has happened because what we're doing is we're getting people to really you know understand what food intelligence is and people are starting to wake up and saying hey i want to fight this fight and so we do have that collective kind of thing going on within the beef initiative and you know everybody in the bitcoin community has to really understand that this is not LARPing, man. This is happening and people are unfolding and people are breaking out of their lifestyles that got them there. They're breaking out of this food system. And once they break out of the food system, maybe they get into Bitcoin. Maybe it's because I'm not leading with Bitcoin. It comes when it's supposed to come. But these people are starting to see that they can change their communities. They can change their families. What they're really the most important thing that I see is that they're changing their children's lives and they're getting nutrition back into their children's lives. And it's making them very intentional as parents and as individuals, they're actually understanding that this is how I save my child is through this form of nutrition that got us here. And that, that, that is really, you know, the most important thing that we can look at. This is a global movement that's gonna save lives. And you know, Will Harris with White Oak Pastures asked me, he goes, why are you doing this? You know, he's got 25 years of proof of work. And I said, this is to save children's lives. And he said, you can have a conference here anytime you want. Right. So, you know, we're going to have that conference in September. So, you know, I, you know, those people that, you know, hate on me and, you know, because there's a lot of bad people in the regenerative moment in, in Bitcoin. There's some people that have exposed themselves for the ways they are, not only just to me, but just to the public. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, um trolling that goes on there's a lot of disbelief and you know that just basically exposes who they are that they they'd rather believe lies than truth and so you know, that's that's been kind of negative it doesn't really bother me that much but if you truly uh, <clears throat> know who i am as a person you know that i'm not i'm not full of shit for one <laughs> in my in my uh my kindness is not a weakness and so you, you, it's funny how the human behavior that I've seen of, a, of us as a group right now trying to do really good things in this world, how that really gets turned over and, and how the distractions come from that. 
it's not needed. This is a very serious time for us. And we really have to take that seriously. We have to sit there. We have to sit there and we have to, one thing that I've seen is, is acceptance is the key to anything that you do in life. Once you accept it, good or bad, then you can move forward. And I see a lot of people having a hard time accepting where we are within the food industry. And I'm not an alarmist. This is the last thing that I am. I'm a guy that's been out, you know, across the United States for almost three, three years. I know what the hell is going on here. And it, it might not be as bad in certain places, but it's bad in certain places that people refuse to see. And so, you know, there, there's a positive, but I say the positive in the last nine months is overall the amount of support and the people that I've met and that are jumping on board and that are basically doing something about it with their lives. Like our team within the beef initiative, still not making any money here, guys. We haven't taken any, we take a little money in off selling beef boxes, but they're really breaking even because we have our platform and everything like that. We're not making money. And people that help within the beef initiative, they're volunteers and they're doing it because they want to show proof of work. They want to be part of this movement. So we didn't go out and get a bunch of VC money. We're not using the fiat way. This is a Bitcoin standard company. And, you know, I'm not a rich man and I, I never have been. I made some money, but, you know, it's humble, you know, compared to a lot of people. But this year, uh, whenever I went to Tennessee, I announced the Texas to Tennessee tour. But what I did is I put up one full Bitcoin and created an endowment trust scholarship fund for these ranchers that come through the Beef Initiative. And so now, like Jason Rick, in uh, at our July conference, he'll have a, a, a scholarship in his name where he gets to get a scholarship recipient and teach that person for a full year, his protocol, his regenerative practices, he gets to become that educator. Once he's that educator, he gets to basically have a new pillar of strength. He gets to start monetizing in revenue models that he didn't know that he had. He wants to be an educator, a content producer. Well, how about somebody going out to his farm and ranch and doing an internship? Will Harris does that with White Oak Pastures. So somebody like you and your family could go out there to Jason Rick's ranch and work out there for 90 days and live on the ranch and work. Well, you get to help Jason out because he gets a little bit of revenue, but he gets to educate as well. And so that's what the Beef Initiative is doing now for our, you know, the ranchers that come through that you know, follow the protocol. We establish that relationship. So that's, you know, that's, the, that's the, once again, that's part of the positivity that's come out of this. It's evolved. It wasn't my idea in the beginning, but it's just the, the creation of this innovation that's happening. Mate, I love that answer. And uh, I couldn't help thinking I saw a, a tough old cowboy well up there at the beginning of that. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I, I lead from my heart and stuff. You know, you do, you get, you get around a cowboy, you can make a cowboy cry. You know, you, you play them, you know, you watch uh, old Western and stuff like that. You, you, you know, I've had 20 broken bones, man. I can tell you stories. I, I am pretty damn tough. And it's just because I got proof of work. You know, look at this hand, Prancy. I ain't got a pinky, man. Half of it's cut off. These knuckles have been broken five times. That didn't come from, you know, sitting behind a computer and not being tough. And so, you know, we have to be tough these days. And I, you know, this is said very humbly, but it's time to get a little grit in our lives and our thinking. You know, I see a lot of fragility out there. 
And, you know, I haven't watched TV for three years and I don't ever plan on watching TV again. I don't watch the news. I don't look at all the distraction out there. I could give a rat's ass. I know what they're trying to do. I don't care to parrot the bullshit anymore. And I wish more people would come on board with that because once you do your life, I'm pretty damn happy these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that was, that was 7,800 miles over 40 day period. That was a grind. You know, I was having to do be my book my own places to stay. I was having to meet new people every day, new conversations, miles upon miles, putting on that truck, that pickup truck. That's a grind. And you don't eat that well and everything. But you have to do stuff like that in our life. You know, I've been telling everybody lately, it's like you better be okay with engineering your own suffering right now. Cause if you don't, that suffering is going to get engineered on you and you're not going to be prepared. And I'm not a prepper. I don't like preppers. I don't like that idea of prepping. I like to basically innovate through a system that is trying to prohibit our freedom. And it's done throughout wars. It's done because we are at war right now. We're definitely in an information war. And so look at the opportunity, get some grit in you and let's quit bitching and moaning and let's do some stuff about it. And, you know, I'm going to start talking a little bit louder like that because we have to, and it comes from a very dear part of my heart. And so, you know, you, you can, you can, you can, if people know me, like when my parents, I told my parents, I said, Hey, I'm going on the road. They just went, Oh shit, there he goes. (laughs) And so we're just getting started is what I'm saying. And, you know, come along for the ride. Cause this is, this is an international lifestyle and us Bitcoiners are leading the way with the ranchers and the producers. And I have all the respect for all the animal producers out there from lamb to fowl. I'm from Texas. It's a beef thing for me. So, but anybody, anybody else come along for the ride. All right. I got two last questions. Okay. Obviously the the last orange pill question. Uh, but more importantly, how the hell did you lose that pinky? <laughs> let's uh what's that orange pill question? Let's do that. No, let's uh, go with the pinky first. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna because I can tell a pretty good story, right? Well, I'll tell you how I lost it after I tell you people how I tell people how I absolutely lost it. Whenever I was still in technology, I lost it about four or five years ago. But what happened, um, I was still doing some consulting in, uh, in that fiat world and stuff. I still even had a LinkedIn profile back then, but I was, <laughs> I was in marketing. I was doing the, kind of the deep dive marketing stuff as far as the social media and how we're tracking and our attention spans and, you know, how we've really, the dopamine affixation, all that kind of stuff. So I was doing the, that type of consulting, but, um, I was sitting at a table with a bunch of people up in Boston and we were at a think tank and everybody's, you know, cause people stare at it and stuff and you, you can kind of mess with them. And so I, I get it to where people start staring at that. And finally, I, you know, this one story always works really well. And, you know, I said, yeah, I rode a motorcycle across Asia, you know, Thailand, which I've done and everything. So yeah, I spent some time in Japan too, though. And, uh, <laughs> I and, and I didn't come back with a pinky after I left Japan. <laughs> some people don't know what the hell you're talking about. Cause they don't understand the Japanese mafia. Right. But I'll, I'll take that story all the way to the bank as long as they'll still believe it. So. <laughs> I lost a digit in Japan. And uh, so I like telling that story. And, you know, I've got metal all in me. And I, I tell gullible, I used to tell my gullible girlfriends that I had to go through the conveyor belt. You know, they would make me ride through it because I go, you know, I blow up the metal detection machines at the airport. So, yeah, I've got some good stories I can lead you down. But how I lost it, I had a buddy and uh, 
we, I build stuff, you know, I'm a welder and, you know, I know how to work wood and all that. And we, he built a, um, a zip line outside of a place called Paladura Canyon. And uh, we were building up the, the towers that you launch off of from these big uh, wood platforms. And so I did some engineering and I developed this platform. Well, I made it pretty damn heavy because these things are, you know, hundred feet up in the air on a platform that you have to launch off of. So they need to be heavy. Well, I had some young kid was helping me and I was kind of teaching him and he got a damn splinter as we were moving it through a, a metal door frame. Well, he just dropped it and started squealing like a little girl and it really kind of just caught my hand and shoved it into a, the, the door framing, which was complete metal. And so I just, it lopped it completely off like within oh. a second. It just, it, and I looked over there and it's hanging on the door jam oh. and, uh, I just took off my t-shirt and wrapped it and, and, uh, and basically I told him to go get a bag of ice and get my damn finger off the door jam. And so we went up to the <laughs> hospital, but it did, it lopped it off. I felt like I just jammed it, but it, it cut it completely off like a ring. Oh my God. Yeah. And it, it was, it, it, it's interesting. Was there ever, uh, did they even think about like, uh, <laughs> sewing it back no. on or was it like, well that was know? funny because we did i mean i spent some time and we got to the hospital it was about an hour away but you know it, it didn't hurt i mean it never bled i mean i, I put pressure on it i know how to treat it injury pretty good because i've been beat up but we got there we had it on ice and everything and i was just you know i had it in my lap and then he goes they you know they called out my name and everything and then i got up and i said oh I said, uh, hey, grab my finger because I didn't bring it. And the doctor, I think he was Pakistani, goes, oh, no, 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 no. You, 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 it, it, that is useless to you anymore. You will not need that. <laughs> so he wasn't even going to try. <laughs> and he, uh, he gave me a shot in the finger. I was in there in 15 minutes. He gave me a shot in my finger. I mean, he had me sewed up. I, that was a, the quickest uh, emergency visit I'd ever been through. And I've been through a lot of them. And, uh, but so he put the stitches in and I put it, the, the, some, somebody wanted my finger. So I gave it away and, but I kept it in the freezer and then gave it to somebody that studied digits. And so I gave him my digit and, um, I healed up and then here we are. So I can't type, I can't hit the damn P, you know, your right hand, do that. Do on the, do the keyboard, look at the keyboard and do P. Yeah. Yeah, that pinky, your pinky that's the worst pink is important <laughs> on the keyboard that was, that was the worst thing that happened is that i can't hit a damn p on a keyboard <laughs> <laughs> you, so, you need it, you need a little uh like uh like uh, what's the word i'm looking for someone needs some pleb out there needs to like uh 3d print you a uh what what a is it a right yeah. a right hand a right hand pinky is it half yeah, a pinky right what do you right what are you right looking there. for Right. Okay. Yeah, like the last that. digit. Yeah. The last digit. It's right a very, there. it's very, yeah, it's very Japanese mafia digit is what it is. Yes. So um, yeah, you can do that and it, it'll be, uh, it'll be perfect. Give me a digit, like a little silver digit. That'd be cool. I can Love tap it. it. <laughs> All right, mate. If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who'd you give it to and why? Right now, the, the, the person I'd give an orange pill to, let me think about that really hard. Um, no, 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 no. The orange pill that I really want to give to that needs it the most is, is probably my biggest, I don't want to say enemy, my biggest foe is because if you can have that type of uh, accomplishment, 
then you've, you've overcome barriers that are unseen and that don't need to be addressed anymore and that you have some common ground with somebody that's really anti whatever you are. It's not that I like to really love my neighbor that much during these times. I don't have much tolerance for bullshit and evil and lies. But if, if, if it had come down to it, the biggest foe of the beef initiative or the biggest foe of Texas Slim, I would orange pill them. And I think that would be a bridge that's needed these days. And it, it gives a, a people a chance to pull, put all the bullshit aside and to you know really start kind of living our life in a more intentional way and quit taking all this crap for granted so that's my answer who do you think your biggest foe is right now honestly it's it's a it's probably somebody in the bitcoin community that's not a true bitcoiner honestly you get those you get those algorithms you see things that are going on there's some people out there they're just you know they're posers they're, there's things that are going on under the the surface that a lot of people don't see you know and it, it's either the two biggest foes and and i've been asked this before is going to be within the bitcoin community because they're not truly a bitcoiner but also a, a rancher that is 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 so trapped that has the size and the money is is, is going to be the biggest foe uh, you know, and that would come from somebody that's in part of the four global processing centers. They have an unlimited power. You, you remember me talking about Cargill and their intelligence apparatus. So, you know, I'm just a big nobody. And, you know, you got to do this in a decentralized way like we've done. You know, we got to fly under the radar until we get more value established. And we get a little bit more, you know, power behind us, you know, within community, within politics, if, if that's the route that we have to go. If they don't, you know, help us, then we don't have to ask permission anymore. Because a lot of times we know, we know the law better than the law knows itself when it comes to beef, the beef industry, the processing centers. We know what the hell we're doing. And we're going we're gonna to keep on moving forward really hard. I love it, mate. And it's, it's been great to, to do this catch up. Uh, I've been... Um watching very closely what you've been doing and you you've been on some huge podcasts adam curry for example and mm -hmm. uh, obviously marty and yourself have made um a very solid friendship uh, over there uh, and i listened to the episode that you did with parker as well talking about the history yeah. of of texas which was truly fascinating so any plebs that are listening haven't you know get, go listen to tftc marty's episode with uh, with parker and slim because that's a great rip uh, and you, your own your own podcast as well. So, how can people reach you, brother? If they if they want to, you know, learn more or help in any way, or sure. figure out what to do yeah. in, in their jurisdiction, what's the best way to reach out? The best way right now, and to, just a couple of announcements on this Tennessee tour. You know, we we established a, a, a headquarters in Tennessee in Nashville now. So the Beef Initiative has a formal headquarters in in Nashville. And we want that in each state with Bitcoiners. So everybody out there, Bitcoiners, this is what we're doing. In each state where you have good, powerful meetups, we want to establish a beef initiative there so we can bring in a local rancher and producer. That local rancher producer can, can get educated and they can educate us. And so that's how the beef initiative is moving forward. Uh, meeting up with Matt O'Dell was a fantastic uh, rod and mills, all those guys that did Bitcoin part, the Nash Bitcoiners, they're really doing some great things there. And it really does complement Parker and Marty and Carr and uh, Kyle Murphy, all those guys in Austin. So all this is really happening moving forward and, you know, across the nation. And that's, and if you really want to get serious about it and be part of the beef initiative and establish your own beef initiative, just reach out to me and DM me for one, or, you know, shoot me an email 
txslim at beefinitiative.com, txslim at beefinitiative.com. And then go to the Beef Initiative, check it out. We're selling beef boxes across the United States right now. Start sourcing your beef through the Beef Initiative, paying fiat, paying Bitcoin, it's up to you. Uh, we're going to start a subscription model moving forward, Daniel, to where people that are very serious, they'll have a monthly box delivered to them. They'll have, a, they'll have content. They'll have merchandise. And so we're going to go ahead and do that membership program for people that are truly serious about this. And the education is just going to ramp up. So, you know, go to my Substack that it started at all. You know, the Harvest of Deception. It's texasslam.substack.com. That's a great place. And then, of course, Twitter is, you know, at Modern Tea Man. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I don't have time for it. You know, I don't have time to listen to all your quality podcasts. I'm that busy. You know, I'm working, you know, 20 hours a day, half the time. And, you know, I'm sleeping four to five hours a night. But it has to be done right now. <clears throat> if we don't do this now in 2022, we don't get established, we're going to lose an opportunity. And I, I want that sense of urgency. So don't think that you can't do what we're doing across the world. Reach out to me. Let's have that conversation. I had somebody reach out to me today. It's a young production uh, media company. They're going to come to Colorado and they're going to do all the audio, video, everything. They've got drones. And so we're going to really start creating a content library in that we can leverage. And, you know, and they're not, it's pro bono. It's value for value. And they're doing it so they want to give a name. This is how Bitcoiners work, man. We're helping each other innovate. We're, we're joining teams. I'm partners with Ibex now. I'm partners with yep. Oshi. You know, so here we go. I mean, we're there and now I'm partnership with a lot of ranchers and we need more ranchers coming into the producer section in the beef. And if you know a rancher, if you're a Bitcoiner and you're in Kansas, you're in Washington state and you know somebody put their information into the platform under the producer section at beefinitiative.com. That's how these ranchers are getting discovered because Bitcoiners are doing our search in our database and then they're contacting these guys and they're starting to go out and say, hey, I met this rancher in Arkansas and I got him through the beef initiative and I just went and bought a full cow from him. I'm hearing that all the time. So let's let's make this collective, open source, crowdsourced, you know, as far as the information. So when you're talking about meetups, it's uh, either uh, Bitcoin meetups that you can plug into Beef Initiative meetups or Beef mm -hmm. Initiative. You, you have your own meetups, Beef Initiative. We're, we're, we're trying to combine them as much as we can. If right. you have a Bitcoin meetup, let's, let's talk about beef. Let's talk about food. And, you know, I tell everybody that right now. If you're a Bitcoiner and you're not seriously looking at your food, no matter what it is, if you're not looking at it, then you're, you're falling short right now because you think about, you know, Nashville, they're going to have a basement and it's going to be full of beef in that basement and they're going to have a producer and they're going to know how to source their beef there in Nashville and uh, across Tennessee. Why aren't, why, why does not every Bitcoin meetup want to do this? Let's get the food source. Let's get a decentralized food sourcing program yeah. going that is a proof of work from the beef initiative. We've done it. We know it more than one place. It is happening. So that's a call to action if everybody really wants to step it up. And I'm an open book, man. If I travel around the world for the next two years and do these uh, these beef initiative Bitcoin meetups, so be it. That's what it's required. You know, my son graduated. He's going to travel a little bit. You know, I, I met, I don't know if you've seen Captain Sid, uh, riding his Harley mm -hmm. across the United States, you know, Sid and I've been talking, I'm thinking about getting out to Thailand next uh, spring 
And, you know, they've got a group of people up there in, close to Chiang Mai and, you know, they, they're doing food sourcing they're doing a like the beef initiative. So we'll go out there and show how it's done. And, you know, this is, this is exciting times and everybody can come along. Let's do this together. Yeah, really. I, let's do this together. I've met Sid. My, my, uh, my signature is on one of his, uh, saddlebags so I, i'm awesome. yeah that that was a humbling time meeting him in in miami before he set up set off on on that journey i i'm gonna whether you guys have already done this or not um but i'm gonna like uh, a call to action please that for any of these meetups that you do like combined initiative bitcoin meetups can we please spell the word meet m-e-a-t yes there you go i love that <laughs> why not Let's do it. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. And, and think about everything that you created from those first podcasts. Let's give you some credit. Uh, mine, your protein. That was you. Right. Remember? There you uh, go. I, you, I'm adding value had, in my own little way. You have from the very beginning. And, you know, and that, I've been wanting to get back in touch with you and, you know, like Cedric and Marty, you know, giving grace. I mean, if it wasn't for you guys, nobody listening. I'm so shadow banned right now. It's just, it's, you know, this is how people are hearing me doing these podcasts. So once again, I think I did, I, I challenged Marty on that very first part podcast. I said, Hey, Marty, when are you going to give me a call? Well, he gave me a call many times and, you know, it's been a, a wonderful, you know, you know, results. And so everybody else that hadn't heard of me, Texas Slim or the Beef Nation, call my ass up and let's get on a podcast and then I'll, I'll, I'll record you. You record me, man. I'm set up. You know, we have Texas Slims media coming at you pretty hard. So here we go. I love it. I love it. All right, brother. Well, uh, thanks again for, um, for, for getting those boots made for Lauren. She's going to be, uh, very much excited to receive those and we'll be, uh, you know what? They might get worn through quicker than you think, because I think mom and her two, uh, other sisters are going to be, <laughs> stealing well, <laughs> hey we're gonna we're gonna create a boot line too that's that's gonna be a passion of mine whenever i get a little bit older <laughs> to start designing some cowboy boots and so let's wear them out wear them out we'll you we'll do a case study and i'm gonna send you a picture about that fence and you'll see what i'm talking about it's pretty cool how people retire a boot so the sooner she can retire a boot the better all right brother love it have a have a great day and uh, enjoy the rest of the week and keep doing what you're doing man uh you know this is this has been a wild ride watching you uh put all of this together and, and you're inspiring so many people so kudos to you appreciate you daniel thanks for everything from the beginning until now so man, much love take care brother all right guys there you go another rip with your boy texas slim who is doing so much great work down there in texas trying to ranch pill the bitcoiners and orange pill the ranchers uh, if you've watched this story unfold uh, you've probably listened to slim on marty bent's podcast a couple of times uh it's great work and i just hope that this does start spreading around the world it's already starting to hit up some of the plebs in Europe that are looking to do this as well and there's uh, even like the, the homesteaders the guys out there like myself that keep a few chickens um, there's gonna be more shows like that coming your way I will find the right people to bring on and start talking about homesteading and and how you do it uh, the pitfalls the joys the uh, the, the, the down days um, because, you know, there's always something new when you're learning new skills. So I look forward to hosting those soon. 
Uh, thank you everybody so much for tuning in to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. If you're new here to the show, uh, stick around. Uh, they're good fun. Uh, they're very uh, lighthearted. We try to get as many different people on here as possible from as many different walks of life to help us learn about Bitcoin. Uh, if you do want to start stacking some sats or add to your stack, there are some great companies now that have been built and stood the test of time. They're still around. They're still offering great services. They are Swan Bitcoin out of the US. Across Europe, you have a Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H. You have Bitcoin Reserve based out here in Europe as well. Bitcoinreserve.com doing amazing work. Uh, Coincorner.com based in the Isle of Man. These guys can exchange your euros and your pounds. All of those guys. Relay, Bitcoin Reserve and Coincorner. Uh, Shift Crypto have you covered. Get a hardware wallet. Use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition by Shift Crypto and start learning how to self-custody your Bitcoin. Do not leave them on an exchange or an app or loan them out. Not yet because we are nowhere near ready for that kind of service to be 100% trustworthy. Uh, check out your conferences. Go meet some plebs. Bitcoinday.io over in the US. Liberty Now Lifetime back end of October, 21st of October in Prague, talking about parallel structures put together by the Free Cities Foundation and Peter Young with Titus Gable over there. Uh, the Bitcoin Honey Badger in Riga is coming up. So make sure you go to the website. See if you can uh, get yourself a ticket. Bitcoin Maxis only. Consensus Network are doing amazing work. They are translating as many Bitcoin books into as many different languages as possible. Well worth supporting. Don't buy from Amazon if you're going to buy a book. Go to Consensus Network. Seriously. Uh, Ungovernable Misfits. Merch. Streetwear. Your boy Max over at Bit by Bit Podcast. A fellow Britcoiner is making that and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Check the links in the show notes and take care guys. Speak to you on the next show.